for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday evening, Patricio Robayo. It's Friday. We made it through the week. Let's take a breather right now. We made it. I'm glad you enjoyed. Join me this Friday evening. We have a packed show, so let's get straight to it. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking to Hilly Acres Farm about Farm Fest that's happening this weekend. And I had the pleasure of meeting Barry Wallenstein, poet and jazz musician who was in the studio earlier this today. He's talking about his upcoming concert that's happening tomorrow also. But it's Friday on the local edition, and every Friday we check in with the one and only Chris Rowley to see what's happening in Ellenville in Ulster County. For this week, uh, we're going to do an expert of the Reporters Roundtable that's been playing all week. Uh, Earlier this week, we heard Liam Mayo, we heard Derek Kurt, we heard Philip Pontuso. So now it's time to focus on Chihuahua Journal. So I spoke to Chris earlier this week about mental health in the village of Ellenville. Okay, well, um, Village of Ellenville Board of Trustees meeting on Tuesday, uh, because uh, because Monday was Yom Kippur, um, Tuesday... Um, the meeting brought up um, an issue which basically began with a, a horrific incident at the weekend when um, a 35-year-old man uh, attacked his mother uh, and, uh, and cut her throat uh, in, in, in a street in, uh, in, in their home uh, in Ellenville. Um, so the good news is that she survived and she's recovering. She's in hospital down in Westchester Medical but, uh, you know, and he has been indicted by a grand jury in Kingston. However, uh, the issue that came up at the Board of Trustees was the mental health issue. Um, is there any way that, uh, say, mobile mental health can notify the village or Ellenville police um, in the event that something like this is going to happen or might happen or is on the cards? You know, I mean, obviously, you, you everyone will understand how difficult this is because, first of all, there's the HIPAA rule from uh, HHS. It's a federal rule that protects the privacy of all medical information. Uh, you know, every time we go to the doctor, you have to sign off on an HIPAA form uh, that, you know, nothing is going to be revealed about your medical uh, status uh, and whatever it happens to be. So... Um, mental health is obviously a very sensitive area, and uh, there are people, as um, Trustee uh, T.J. Briggs noted, uh, who uh, get regular visits from uh, mobile mental health from Ulster County. Um, do those visits get uh, uh, reported to the police? Is, is that really the way we want to go? Uh, yeah, so it gets very complex. However, um, when when a horrific incident like this, and this is this is only the latest. I mean, we've had other um, violent incidents in, in the village over the years. Um, 
should there be some notification? Uh, you know, uh, it could, could it help? Could it, could it perhaps prevent uh, a tragedy? So that's a question that uh, Mayor Kaplan uh, wanted uh, to get an answer to, and uh, he has asked the village manager, Michael Warren, to uh, compose a letter to send to Ulster County Mental Health to, you know, to, to find out what the rules are, whether or not something like that could be done or whether it's completely forbidden. And so that's an interesting area. Uh, it's obviously a sensitive area for our entire society and um, and, and uh, along with all the mental health issues yeah. uh, that, that we have to deal with. I mean, at least you can say that at least the towns and villages are recognizing that there is a need for services of some kind for mental health. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult area. Um, you know, society has never wanted to really spend the money or, or uh, you know, I mean, once upon a time, people with mental health problems were routinely uh, basically imprisoned against their will, often, yeah. uh, in uh, storiums. Uh, um, asylums, they were called, if I remember. Uh, and then that was deemed to be horrific. That was that was the era of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. If you've seen that movie, you you understand what that's all about. Uh, that that ended, and the idea was that there would be community or even neighborhood um, situations set up for those people. Some of that has happened, but a lot of it hasn't happened. And one result is that uh, a solid, strong component of the homeless population in all of our cities are actually mentally ill people. Um, and many of them don't want to be uh, taken care of or anything, and uh, they throw their meds away. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of issues. It's very complicated. Everyone's a different individual. So, you know, this, this, is a, this is a hard area. And to ask for police to be notified and to extend protection... Mm. Oh, that gets into that gets into real privacy issues, and uh, uh, I just don't know. I, I, you know, that's that's one for the uh, the, the lawyers and the the people that and the politicians probably right. to uh, to work. Yeah. Yeah, when you have the police involved, that definitely does change things. And um, um, when dealing with someone who might be having a mental health issue, it does. Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, I mean. Ellenville Police have, have got really good training. I mean, uh, Chief Matrician insists on it. He does a good job with it. So, for instance, in this case, uh, when they did respond um, to what was going on in the house, uh, they stayed outside and they right. negotiated with the individual. And they just and, and uh, Matrician said, told me this morning, said, you know, the the, the tool that we use in these in these situations is time. Uh, we just stay out there. We don't get into. We don't rush in. We don't run around with guns. We just stay outside and talk to the individual. And eventually, they usually see sense, and they'll come out, and then we proceed. And that's what happened. Um, but you know, uh, would it have been better if, if they had known and been able to to be there? Right. Um, one, well, you just can't tell because the mental health thing can go off at any moment. You just don't know. Right. So that, that, that's that's a very difficult area. And privacy, I think, will probably trump safety in this one. Um, but we'll find out when that letter goes to Ulster County Mental Health. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
And you have another story uh, that you worked on uh, about the Warsing Tom Board adopting uh, a drinking water source study. What is this all about? Yeah, I mean, and this is another uh, of these things exploring um, a complicated and difficult uh, issue for um, our society uh, in at large, right? Uh, Town of Warsing Town Board has been concerned from at least the last seven years with protecting drinking water supplies. Um, that's one reason why the town board pushed to have five-acre zoning on a large area in the residential district, uh, residentially zoned district. Um, that way to basically make sure that that wells would be relatively safe uh, in a large area of the town is, um, you know, basically people, single-family homes with yeah. wells drilled down into bedrock. Uh, if you have too many wells, then wells are going to dry up. It's just going to happen. So uh, they had the, the Environmental Conservation Commission spent five years working on a report um, concerning how to protect the drinking water resources in the town. And ah, this is the difficult thing. The key resource in the town of Warsing, uh is an aquifer about 50 feet thick. It's an outwash uh, deposit yeah, um, from the the ice and the glaciers of the of 10,000, 12,000 years ago. Anyway, and it runs right down the Rondout Valley, underneath the Rondout Creek, underneath Route 209. All the development, or the most of the major development in the valley, in that area, is along Route 209. Uh, and in the town of Warsaw, there are six gas stations alone. I mean, that just gives you an idea of how much development there is. Um, so, I mean, how to protect? Well, the, the, the report that the uh, Environmental Conservation Commission came up with, the initial one presented in February, was a little harsh. Well, <laughs> it basically, uh, you know, put strict limits on the amount of, of impermeable surface. Permeable surface. Anyway, so the uh, chair of the uh, Warsing uh, Planning Board, uh, who... who of course, was notified and had a presentation of this uh, report. Said essentially, it would it would end all development in the town. Perhaps an exaggeration, but clearly, you know, uh, there was a, a strong concern. So um, the uh, the environmental commission went back and uh, reworked the report. They came up with a softer side version of it, which was presented in July. And uh, last week, the town board. Um, signed off on it. They said, this is all very nice and well, and we like it and all that, but they neither adopted it, nor did they take any actions uh, in regard to, to um, doing anything that, the, that the, the thing had suggested. You can hear more of that conversation between me and Chris Rowley on our podcast, WJFF, The Reporters Roundtable, where I, we talk to not only Chris Rowley from the Shawanka Journal, but Philip Pontuso from the Times Union Lee Mayo from the from the River Reporter, Derek Kerr from the Democrat. So it's moving right along right here. Uh, Farm Fest, hosted by Healy Acres Farm in Jeffersonville, will take place this Saturday. The event kicks off at 10 a.m. This will be a day filled with exhibitions, games, live music, farm fresh food, and much more. Tanya Hahn from Healy Acres Farm is on the phone with us now to tell us the details about what's happening this Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, this weekend we're going to have... Um a lot of things going on. We're going to have a hay rides. Um, we're going to have different vendors. 
Um, we're going to have uh, several 4-H groups. We're going to have the Sullivan West FFA group here. Um, they'll be doing Ag Olympics. The 4-Hers, we have a, a group called uh, Deal Us In. They'll be bringing their uh, mini ponies over for everyone to uh, be able to, to uh, be entertained by. Um, and the other 4-H group, um, Small Town Country, will be selling some hot chocolate and some cider, as well as exhibiting some of the things that they that they produce. Um, the other vendors will include folks like uh, Bill and Barb from Oakworks, uh, Amanda, who has uh, jams, Woodside Blue Preserves, Ryan's Ice Cream, County Road Bakery, Anderson's Maple Farm, um, Forthright Cider and Mead, which will be my favorite, of course. Um, and we'll have CCE here from uh, Liberty. And Lisa Rose comes every year. She's been one of our most faithful vendors. Um, she has a, 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 a weaving group, and they will be weaving their, their goods. Um, and Karen Coombe will be coming with bunnies as well. Um, so we'll have a little bunny, bunny Olympics. So, you know, you started this farm fest a couple of years ago. You run the farm with your son and husband, right? Um, what was his? They, they, yeah, they primarily, they, they primarily run the farm. I, I just fill in, I fill the holes in where, where needed. Okay. So let's talk about what was the inspiration to start Farm Fest, uh, all those years well, ago? Well, it, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, we started this, I think it was probably around 2015. I, I to be honest with you, I can't quite remember, but, um, Michael had uh, graduated from Cobalt Skill, um, wanted to be a farmer and he said, you know, what would be great is if we could open the farm up to the community so they can really see what farming is about. And I, you know, my husband and I went, yeah, okay, that's nice. Um, but that was, you know, he was the inspiration to teaching the, the public about food, food safe, safety, um, sustainability, introducing kids to it, um, and just proving that you can make a profession out of it. Um, you know, that's, that's all he ever wanted to do is be a farmer. And, um, he's, you know, he's, he's proven that it can be done. Um, so like I said, we just want, and we want to, most of all, you know, we want to thank our, our own customers for their support over the years. We've had a lot, a lot of customers that have supported us, um, in various ways. And so it's just a, you know, a, a way to say thank you and a, a way to just enjoy the day and see what we have and, and, um, Sharing some good food and music and fun and you know make it make it just a nice day. Right, right. Now you know, you to talk about some folks who may not never been on a farm can come and really learn about the what it takes to be a farmer. And you sort of you know farm fest is sort of contributing to I guess fostering a sense of community. Is that is that what you're going for? And then sort of the appreciation yeah. for local yeah. agriculture. Right. I I think that's that's exactly right. I you know there's a there's a <clears throat> pardon me a in, in this country, unfortunately, we don't really appreciate where our food comes from. In many other countries and cultures, food is, is first and foremost. And I think in, sometimes in this country, we take that for granted. And it was very evident during the pandemic um, how, how folks panicked um, and how we really didn't do well um, through the pandemic. We, we really didn't, um, you know, our, we, we just didn't do as well as we should have. Um, and I'm not talking about the farm. I'm talking about our 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 country just didn't do as well as it could have um, during a pandemic. And you know, I think that just was proof 
that the need for small farms um, is first and foremost. I mean, we're not push button farmers. And what I mean by that is we don't walk into a barn and push the button and then, you know, everything turns on and, and things get done. You know, it's, it's a labor of love. Yeah. No, you definitely, you made much of the pandemic and how that, you know, it sort of revealed how fragile the supply chain is and, and, oh, yeah. and not only that of, of, of folks going out to getting where to get their, their produce and where to get their groceries. I really, you know, yeah, simple things became such a, like, a drastic thing and, and, and it's amazing how that pandemic sort of revealed that. Oh, it absolutely did. There's no doubt about it in my mind. It absolutely brought, brought that, um, to the forefront. Um, I don't know that we really have learned from it, but, um, you know, thank God we're not in a pandemic any longer. Um, but you know, we have to think about where our food comes from because, um, you know, you need a, you need a lawyer once in your life, maybe or twice in your life. You need a doctor, but you need a farmer three times a day if you want to have a meal. So, um, you know, that's the importance of farmers. And Sullivan County has a really a rich history with farming. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, you don't have the farms like we used to have in the past, but you have all these smaller farms like Hilly Acre Farms um, who are opening their doors and sort of giving the, the folks who may not be familiar with that uh, type of lifestyle what it takes to be actually be a farmer. And you mentioned like exactly what you said, where your food comes from. Yep. Yeah, we'll answer any questions. We'll, you know, we're... We're here to, um, you know, to, like I said, showcase what we have and folks can purchase any of the uh, products that we offer here on um, Saturday as well. So I encourage folks to bring their coolers because there'll be lots of different, um, again, products that we offer and a lot of different uh, things that many of the other vendors will be uh, offering. And so if you if you leave here empty handed, it's your own fault. All the fun starts on this Saturday at 10 a.m. You know, antique trailers, uh, tractors. Um, you have, uh, you said, the animals, 4-H, a lot of things for the family to do and to sort of get that experience uh, that's happening, uh, of what it takes to be on a farm. Um, anything else before we go that I have not touched on you want to mention? You know, I just want I, I, I want um, folks to bring their kids, their grandchildren. Um, we'll have face painting. We'll have... Um, uh, pumpkin decorating, um, you know, all kinds of things for the kids that will just absolutely, you know, the hayrides, the kids are just going to have a blast. And that's really what, what it's all about is, is, you know, have, letting the kids have a blast. Absolutely. We'll talk to Tanya from Hilly Acres Farm, talking about Farfest that kicks off this Saturday at 10 a.m. in Jeffersonville. Thank you so much for coming on the air with us and, and telling us about this great event that's happening uh, this weekend. Yes, thank you. Oh, and we'll have smash burgers and food and, and ham and all kinds of great salads from um, uh, Amy Miller. So we're we're excited. So, yeah, so it seems like you got to come hungry also. Hey, you can come with those coolers uh, empty so you can pack up and take food. Yeah, you come hungry. And if you go home, yeah. If you go home um, hungry, that's your own, again, right, your own right. fault. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Tanya, for this. I really appreciate it. And good luck this weekend. All right, great. Thank you. You're listening to The Local Edition. We'll be right back talking to Barry Wallenstein about the jazz concert. Stay tuned. I'm Aaron Bendich. Join me for Borscht Beat, the Jewish music show on Radio Catskill. 
Each week I share rare, forgotten, and classic recordings from Jewish musical traditions across multiple generations. From Yiddish folk songs to instrumental klezmer, Yiddish theater, and contemporary performances. It's a grand tour of many musical landscapes. That's Borscht Beat, an hour of Jewish music in the Catskills, Sunday afternoons at 1 on Radio Catskill. Welcome back to the local, local edition. Barry Wallstein is the author of 11 poetry collections, including his latest work, It's About Time. He's been featured in more than 100 journals, such as the American Poetry Review and the Manhattan Review. And this Saturday, he'll be hosting a jazz concert where he'll blend his poetry with music along Steve Carlin. This event is part of the Liberty Poetry Festival and is scheduled to commence at 7 p.m. at the Liberty Museum Art Center. Barry Wallstein, a poet and jazz musician, been showcasing his unique talents on this occasion. He was in the studio earlier today and I had the pleasure of meeting him and talking about his work and the concert that's happening this Saturday. I write lyrics and poetry and I've been collaborating with jazz musicians since my early 30s, meaning about 1972. So I'm an old guy, but I've been doing this steadily right. all these years. Right. And how did you, how did you get into music? Well, it started with my poetry, and I was <clears throat> in a workshop with a senior poet at the time named Robert Hazel, and he said, would you like to do a public reading? And I did. Uh, I was just starting out with poetry. And I was accompanied by Charles Mingus. So that was uh, my initial experience with jazz, and it was wonderful. And he gave me a copy of his uh, fairly new recording called The Clown, which he wrote with Gene Shepard. And it's a spoken word. And they didn't have that term, spoken word, then. But I started working with jazz players steadily in the mid-70s. Uh, the one-time experience with Mingus was in 1960 or 61. Wow. So I was a kid, but by the time I was in my early 30s, I was doing this steadily in this country and overseas, and it's been part of my life ever since. Wow. So, and, 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 and you, so you, poetry led you to music. Um, did you study poetry in school? I did study poetry at uh, New York University. I <clears throat> did my uh, advanced degrees there, and then I became a professor at City University, where I taught poetry classes. Right, right. And you taught there until, I believe, 2006? Is that 2006 correct? 2006 or seven, I retired. Right, right. Were you doing music during that time? You were still yes. performing? Okay. Yes, while I was one foot in the academic world and, and two feet in uh, the jazz world. And I cherish the long-term relationships that I've had with certain players, for 15 years, I worked around this country and in France with Charles Tyler, kind of a free jazz player. And after he passed, I hooked up with John Hicks, who was a wonderful, wonderful piano player. And we did work all over. Wow. Uh, so, and did four recordings. <clears throat> and I'm extra fortunate to share the hill I live on with Steve Carlin who lives just up the road, and we've been doing uh, 
these music poetry adventures at the Liberty Free Theater when it existed and in New York City. And he's on one of my recordings with the piano player Adam Birnbaum, who is a young, brilliant jazz piano player. Right. And this recording, Euphoria Ripens, that we did some years back, is with, uh, with Adam Birnbaum and Bob Cunningham on bass and other players. And tomorrow night we will do it at the Liberty, at the Liberty Museum at seven o'clock. Right. So, so I hope people come out. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the, the weather keeps up. And I said, it's a great, you know, you, you're, you're bringing your two passions together. And, and that's great that you're able to say, like, have lived in two worlds. Uh, but at the same time, these two things sort of, you know, are compatible. You know, you, you know, they say, you know, the way jazz plays and it's like poetry, yeah. and music, and you're, you're, you're using the, has, so they have to influence each other. You, you, when you, when you, perform music or write music how you could talk about that how how poetry sort of enhances or sort of uh, helps you uh, talk in the language of jazz thank you uh the great jazz poet amari baraka was originally leroy jones he defined poetry as music speech hmm. and 100 years before that emily dickinson defined poetry as Language musically employed. So there's always been a deep connection between the rhythms of poetry and, and music. And in the 20th century, jazz was my preference. And I feel that my poetry is jazz inflected. Uh, not everything I write, but frequently I'm feeling jazz while I'm composing. What I compose. Well, you say you mentioned that and everything that you write, but when like when you write poetry, do you always have in mind like I'm uh, music is going to be accompanying this at one point, or or that just sort of comes afterwards, and you sort of um, sort of uh, mesh the two together, or or does it happen at the same time? Like this, this is going to have some musical component to it. Definitely at the same time with some compositions. In fact, I even have specific tunes in my head, uh, ballads or free stuff. And, <clears throat> but some poems that I've written over the years, I have no idea until I sit down with a player and hear what he or she has to do with it. And sometimes they write a composition uh, to go with my words, and sometimes it's pure improvisation. Most often a mix. Do they read the words or, or, or they let you read the words for them and that they, way they get the inspiration? They, they have the sheet with the composition on it and I will recite it out loud before we even start rehearsing it. And so they have a feeling for what I'm doing. Right, right. Uh, so it's a real collaboration. Yeah, definitely. Because I believe there's a difference between just reading it and, and the actual poet performing it. Right. Uh, because to me, like, when you recite poetry, it is like a performance because you have the, the rhythm, you have the beats there. Should you be. Have to, yeah. Right. Definitely. Right. And I do believe in rehearsing and respecting the music enough to listen very closely to it. Uh, I don't like it when people say, this reminds me of the Beat Generation days because Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, and so forth, they rarely ever rehearsed. It was just background music to their recitation. 
Whereas I like to really integrate. I don't consider them backing me. We're, we're together. Right. The, the true collaboration of the two, yeah. two melding of the two, uh, right. two, uh, disciplines there. So let's say, let's listen to some, some music. We queued up, I think, track number seven. Um, so let's talk about what, what we're going to hear about now. It's- I think this is called Little Diddy. And it's just something I actually did right for the music that I was hearing. And how long ago, how long ago was this track made? Uh, but I would say it was in the early part of this. 21st century. Part 21st century. Okay, so yeah. this is Little Diddy, you said, right? Ah, 2007. 2007. Right. There you go. Right. All right. Chinka-laka-chanka, chinka-laka-cham. Put him in the back seat. Bam, bam, bam. Chicka-too, chicka-too, chicka-too-too-too. The hummingbird makes no sound, but for the whirring of wings, the quick plunge of its beak into sweets makes no sound. Rim-a-rack-a-wim-wham, rim-a-rack-a-soul, put him in the back seat, swirl, swirl, swirl. So, you know, you can hear more of that conversation on our website, wjffradio.org. And more conversation with Barry Wallenstein, very interesting guy. His jazz concert is happening tomorrow at 7 p.m. at the Liberty Museum, along with Steve Carlin. And that does it for the local edition. Thank you to all my guests here, Chris Rowley and Hilly Acres Farms. We'll be back on Monday. We do this all over again. Talking to Sullivan County government about the COVID shots and talking to the Sullivan County Democrat. I've been your host, Patricio Robayo. Check out our podcast wherever you find your favorite podcast, WJFF, the local edition. Have a good night, Lucy. Stay safe, everyone. Enjoy your weekend.